Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of October 30th, 2022. As always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. Okay, uh, this got some headlines this week. Maybe not as much as Kanye West being a jerk or Elon Musk buying up Twitter, but at least it got some headlines. I mean, you know, it only concerns the survival of the human race. <clears throat> there is, quote, no credible pathway to 1.5 degrees Celsius in place today, end quote. The UN Environment Program, UNEP, states in its new Emissions Gap Report 2022, despite supposedly legally binding promises made in the 2015 Paris Climate Accords to prevent average temperatures from rising by more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. I say um, supposedly legally binding because there wasn't actually any enforcement mechanism. <clears throat> Quote, this report tells us in cold scientific terms what nature has been telling us all year through deadly floods, storms, and raging fires. We have to stop filling our atmosphere with greenhouse gases and stop doing it fast, said Inger Anderson, executive director of UNEP. We had our chance to make incremental changes, but that time is over. Only a root and branch transformation of our economies and societies can save us from accelerating climate disaster. End quote. Okay, he said it, not me. Root and branch transformation of our economies and societies. That's from Inger Anderson, head of the United Nations Environment Program, UNEP. Not some crazy fringe anarchist with a podcast on the Lower East Side. <laughs> All right, so um, this gets a day or two of headlines, as if it were of no greater importance than Kanye being a jerk. And then it's forgotten, and the news cycle moves on. A similar fate befell these related stories over the past months, although they made even less of a splash, but were noted on our website, Counter Vortex. A study entitled Climate Endgame appeared August 1st in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, finding that catastrophic climate change outcomes, including human extinction are not being taken seriously enough by scientists. The authors say that the consequences of more extreme warming are dangerously unexplored, quote-unquote. The researchers found that estimates of the impacts of a temperature rise of 3 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels are underrepresented in research, given its likelihood. Did you catch that phrase? Catastrophic climate change outcomes, including human extinction. Once again, they said it, not me. Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, August 1st. 
Then, back in May, the World Meteorological Organization issued a report finding that with anthropogenic climate change continuing, there is a 48% chance that the globe will reach a yearly average of 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels at least once between now and 2026. So we are four years away from the level that we were supposed to avoid hitting by the end of the century under the Paris Accord. Uh, That's comforting. And an International Energy Agency report released in May of 2021 found that new fossil fuel exploration needed to halt by 2022 in order to keep warming within the limits set by the Paris Agreement. So, obviously, that is not happening, about which more later. First, just to get it out of the way, some seemingly good news, emphasis on the seemingly, the European Union this week agreed on new legislation that includes stricter CO2 emission standards for cars and a goal to phase out CO2-emitting vehicles entirely by 2035. CO2, of course, being carbon dioxide, the most significant greenhouse gas. The legislation comes as the next step in the EU's European Green Deal policy to achieve zero net emissions of greenhouse gases by 2050. So they're making an effort at least, but is this sufficient? Uh, There's a new report from the International Energy Agency finding that the global carbon emissions from energy generation, at least, will peak in 2025, thanks to increased government spending on alternative fuels in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Government spending on clean energy in response to the crisis could mark an historic turning point, quote-unquote, in the transition away from fossil fuels, the IEA said in its annual report on global energy. However, the IEA emphasized that current practices and policies would still lead to global temperatures rising by 2.5 degrees Celsius, which would have catastrophic climate impacts that would be far above the target of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, which would prevent the worst effects of climate breakdown. Although, of course, we aren't even there yet, and we're already seeing some pretty devastating effects of climate breakdown. Again, more about this later. So, uh, no, it is not happening. Certainly not in the um, root-and-branch way that now even the world's leading experts say is necessary. A part of the problem is so-called stranded assets, money that has already been invested in fossil fuel development that would have to be abandoned if there were this kind of root and branch transformation. A uh, 2014 report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change 
found that 80% of known fossil fuel reserves must stay in the ground in order for us to have any chance of remaining within the critical threshold of 2 degrees Celsius, the secondary, less ambitious goal of the Paris Accord. That is equivalent to writing off $20 trillion in assets from the world's largest corporations, which is why the oil companies remain committed to oil, despite all of the ubiquitous and tiresome greenwashing propaganda. I just got to get this off my chest. First, BP, the former British Petroleum, like 20 years ago, started calling themselves Beyond Petroleum. And yet they remain, first and foremost, an oil company. So it was just public relations. And now I see that Chevron, with one of the worst environmental records, from Richmond, California, to the Ecuadorian Amazon, and which has traditionally had this attitude of, who cares about all this ecology BS? We're an oil company and we pump oil. Leave us alone. Even they have a new advertising campaign portraying themselves as all green and ecological and shit. I hope nobody is falling for this. <clears throat> and of course, everything has been made much worse by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has sent oil prices soaring to $100 a barrel, which will inevitably spur new exploration and exploitation of hydrocarbons. Unless we rise to the occasion and recognize the imperative posed by the war in Ukraine to implement this root and branch transformation. Now, the U.S. hydrocarbon sanctions against Russia, although full of loopholes, are a start. And progressives in Europe, America, and around the world must seize this moment to demand a shutdown of all pipelines from Russia as a first step toward a crash conversion from fossil fuels, linking questions of peace and ecological survival. And some, indeed, are thusly seizing the moment. Back in March, after Russia launched the invasion, hundreds were arrested in England as the activist group Just Stop Oil disrupted petrol supplies from seven critical facilities near London and Birmingham to press their demand that the United Kingdom call a halt to new oil and gas projects. In a statement, Just Stop Oil said it is, quote, calling on the UK government to get a grip and implement an emergency program to reduce our reliance on oil and gas through insulation, renewables, and free public transport, end quote. And Norwegian police on April 25th arrested 20 activists from the groups Greenpeace and Extinction Rebellion near Asgard Strand for blocking a tanker from delivering Russian oil to an ExxonMobil terminal. Activists set off in kayaks across the Oslo Fjord and attempted to block the tanker from delivering an estimated 95,000 tons 
of Russian oil to Norway by chaining themselves to the vessel's anchor, very good. But there are also those, shall we say, extremely misguided elements of the Western left that are cheering on fascist Russia and acting like the world has a responsibility to buy its blood hydrocarbons. This campism is such a dangerous distraction, both from the imperative and the opportunity to exploit this call for a root and branch transformation to demonstrate, as I am attempting to do in this rant, that such is not possible under capitalism, or at least not without massive public intervention in the workings of capitalism due to reasons of political economy. That is the utterly critical point that must be at the center of all our actions and demands. But you know what is not getting headlines? I just happened to see two reports about this over uh, the past couple of weeks, one on PBS NewsHour and the other on uh, Voice of America, interestingly. Authorities in the African Sahel nation of Chad have built a refugee camp for several thousand Cameroonians who have flooded into the country over the past several months because a dire water shortage sparked a violent conflict between two communities. So the cause, or at least strong contributing factor to this situation, pretty clearly being climate change. And it's received very, very little coverage. Some in the uh, Francophone press internationally, both in France and Francophone Africa, very, very little in the uh, English language world media. Here's a uh, report with some background that I wrote up last December when the conflict broke out. Based on press releases from the United Nations Refugee Agency, water scarcity sparks clashes in Cameroon's north. The UN Refugee Agency reports that intercommunal clashes in Cameroon's far north region have displaced thousands inside the country and forced more than 30,000 people to flee to neighboring Chad. Since the violence erupted on December 5th, at least 22 people have been killed and 30 others seriously injured. Uh, Many more lives lost since then, I will interject. Remember, I wrote this back in December. The fighting began in the border village of Olumza, following a dispute between herders, fishermen, and farmers over dwindling water resources. Violence then spread to neighboring villages. Ten villages in total have been burned to the ground. On December 8th, the violence reached Kuseri, Cameroon's northern commercial hub, where the cattle market was destroyed. At least 10,000 people have fled Kuseri to Chad's capital, Jamena, across the Cherry and Logone rivers, which mark the border. Some 80% of the new arrivals are women, including many who are pregnant, and children, 
They have found refuge in Jamena and villages along Chad's bank of the Lagone River. Chad's authorities, together with the UN Refugee Agency and humanitarian groups, are rushing to support the refugees with emergency shelter and assistance. Injured people have been admitted to two hospitals in Jamena. Security forces have been dispatched to far north Cameroon, but the situation remains volatile. The refugee agency has been forced to suspend its operations in the affected areas. The climate crisis is exacerbating tensions in far north Cameroon. The surface of Lake Chad, of which the Logone River is a main tributary, has decreased by as much as 95% in recent decades. Fishermen and farmers have dug vast trenches to retain the remaining river water so they can fish and cultivate crops. But the muddy trenches are trapping and sometimes killing cattle belonging to the herders, sparking tension and fighting. The UN Refugee Agency is calling for an immediate end to the violence and for the support of the international community to assist the victims and refugees. Financial resources to respond to the situation in both countries remain critically low. Now, if you Google, you will find that there is currently devastating flooding in the south of Cameroon, as in much of West Africa and Central Africa, with over 1.3 million people displaced at the same time that there is devastating drought in the north of Cameroon, as across Vesakel and into the Horn of Africa, with millions on the brink of extreme hunger and possible starvation. So this is an example of what's been called global weirding with both droughts and floods getting more extreme as a result of a general destabilization of the world's climate. But often there is counterintuitively a direct link between the two, with flooding paradoxically contributing to desertification. And this dynamic is really driven by deforestation, which in addition to releasing the carbon in the trees into the atmosphere and contributing to the greenhouse effect and global warming also means that when the rains come, there are no trees and root networks to hold down the soil and catch the water. So you get floods that wash away the topsoil. And then with the trees gone and the topsoil gone, so not much else can grow, the transpiration cycle is broken and the rains diminish, and desertification spreads. And the deforestation is largely driven by expansion of commercial crops, which in Cameroon means coca, coffee, cotton, bananas, and palm oil. Again, capitalism. Sorry, not my fault. So no, it really isn't a contradiction that you have floods in South Cameroon and desertification in North Cameroon. In fact, these phenomena are likely linked. And the bitter irony is that the worst impacts of the world climate crisis are felt in those areas least equipped in terms of infrastructure and development 
to ride out those impacts, which also happen to be the places that use the least fossil fuels per capita and the least resources per capita generally. People aren't riding around in SUVs in Chad and Cameroon outside of a very small elite. The case of Darfur, which won global headlines in response to an actual genocide there some 15 years ago, but is now heating up again, is particularly instructive because it is a conflict which experts have repeatedly linked to climate change. Now, the immediate cause of the mass killing of up to half a million people and the displacement of over two million was the marauding Janjaweed militias spurred on by Sudanese dictator Omar Bashir, not desertification per se, but increased competition over shrinking water resources and grazing lands linked to desertification, in turn linked to climate change, clearly had a hand in setting off the war. And this does not let Omar Bashir or the Janjaweed leaders off the hook. You better believe I want to see them on trial at The Hague. But their direct personal culpability doesn't let us off the hook either. In places like New York City, through the complicity of our hydrocarbon-intensive way of life here in the industrial and post-industrial world, And just to add to the perversity of it, it is the lands of peoples in such countries that are being usurped and despoiled by corporations based in the imperial metropole to be exploited for their fossil fuel resources. Here, I wish this had received a whole lot more coverage from Reuters, October 4th, Dateline Kampala, Uganda. Uganda police detained nine people protesting against a planned crude oil pipeline in an escalating crackdown on critics of the project opposed by environmentalists, activists, and some European Union lawmakers. Dozens of demonstrators had gathered near the offices of the European Union in the capital Kampala to deliver a petition accusing the Ugandan government of seizing people's lands when police broke up the group. Nine people were arrested for staging an illegal demonstration, a police spokesman said. All that from uh, Reuters on October 4th. And for some background on this, I turn to a report that I uh, wrote up last March, March 2021, primarily based on accounts from Mongabe, the Rainforest News website. This conflict concerns the East African crude oil pipeline, IACOP, which would carry oil from fields in western Uganda to a port on the northern coast of Tanzania. A report from local African social and environmental organizations says the line's construction poses unacceptable risks to communities in the immediate 1,445-kilometer, or 898-mile, path of the project and beyond. The organizations are calling on banks not to fund the $3.5 billion project 
and asking government leaders to shift funding away from infrastructure for fossil fuels to renewable energy. The IACOP is a joint project of the French firm Total and the China National Offshore Oil Corporation, or CNUC. Opponents say that more than 400 villages would be affected by the line. The reports say that works out to some 14,000 households that could lose land on the pipeline's path from western Uganda to Tanzania's coast. The report found the total had blocked access to farmlands for 5,000 households as early as 2018 as crews prepared for construction, and those households have not yet been compensated for the lost income or food production. The report also notes that almost one-third of the pipeline's length would run through the Lake Victoria Basin as Africa's largest lake. Lake Victoria provides livelihoods to 40 million people in the region and waters for millions. Its fringes host wetlands critical to the hydrological cycle, fish, and wildlife. IACOP's opponents say that both the risk of oil spills and the construction itself could threaten this vital resource. The authors of the report also estimate that the oil flowing through the pipeline would release 33 million metric tons of CO2 into the atmosphere, which is more than the annual emissions of Uganda and Tanzania put together. And I sure wish this was getting a fraction as much coverage as those self-indulgent white kids throwing canned soup and mashed potatoes around inside the museums of Europe, which is really kind of an insult to the hungry, apart from the inappropriateness of the targets. I'm not down with wasting food. Just saying, guys, I support your ends 100%, but I don't know about these tactics. I really don't. When you blockade oil terminals, great. And I totally support the kids who disrupted a car show in Paris last week. Although gluing one's hands to a sports car is a tad masochistic for me, they certainly chose an appropriate target. But in any case, all solidarity with the Ugandan petrol resistance and free the Kampala 9. Let's get some more media coverage for that. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org, where everything I've been ranting about is all hyperlinked and documented and blogged up. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex. We need your support to keep going with this project. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance and rant on you next time.